Gaming NBS Episode 05, System Matters. Episode 5 of Gaming in BS. This is one of your co-hosts, Sean. And this is Brett. I'm that other guy. And in this episode titled Don't Tell Me How to Game, we'll talk a little bit about system and how it may or may not matter. But first of all, uh, let's go into announcements quick. Uh, first of all, I want to thank the iTunes reviews from Zave. Thanks, Zave. Uh, I know he's one of our our fans. He wrote in. He, he's the first one to write in too. Yeah, we got the. Uh, we talked about the email last. You know the uh, the player death and character death, where we covered both. And uh, <laughs> he's one of my gamers, so he's having fun. He likes it. Sweet. And then Kevthulu. So we won't use his real name, but we know who you are. Absolutely, Kev Thulu, you, you creeping squamish bastard. So both uh, very generous reviews, and they, you know, it's funny. We went through the whole, you know, the whole time, you know, making up our own reviews, so it'd make it really easy for the guys. And they actually came up with ones that I think were shorter than the ones we did. Um, Probably so, better too. Yeah, I mean, if you really think about it. So thanks a lot, guys. We appreciate it. And then I'll, uh, a shout out to Chad for pimping us out on Google Plus. Much appreciated. Um, he actually uh, and, Chad did the same on uh, Facebook for us too. He has uh, he's on Facebook. Uh, I, as I've said before, I'm there because of my wife and kids. But Chad's got a fairly decent gamer following out there, and he uh, he threw us out on Facebook too. So awesome, Chad. Thank you, man. So also, and I don't think I put it in the notes, which I should have. Mo and I uh, I know I'm going to butcher your name, Mo Mo Toignasan. The, he's a Canadian individual. He's the Canadian gaming god. I mean, you look at you follow that guy on Google Plus. I mean, I, he's shown like pictures of the stuff he owns. He makes my what I thought was an impressive collection look like crap, <laughs> and he knows everything about gaming. He's a he's stand up guy. I like him. Yeah, I'll have to put Mo's uh, info in the show notes as a friend of the show. Um, he did a shout out on Google Plus for us as well, and he's uh, he he handles the Windsor Gaming Club, I think, or the Windsor Gaming Crew. They do like a I don't know if it's weekly, bi weekly. Um, Game club, they get together, do board games, and I know Mo's into the, the RPGs as well. Really nice guy on Google Plus. Um, if you're not following him, uh, go ahead and do that. And then Zave and and Chad as well too. And I, I don't know, I don't know if those guys get whacked out if we put links to their Google Plus accounts. I'll probably just do it anyway because if they block a person, they block a person. I don't know. I wouldn't worry about it. I, I'll tell you though, from watching you track guys like Mo and uh, you hook up with with those guys at Google Plus, it's it's like gateway drug, man. I mean, he's gonna he knows a lot of different people. He talks about a ton of different types of games, board games, card games, miniatures, all sorts of stuff. And um, I've uh, picked up a couple different games from his post. I'm like, oh damn, that looks really interesting. I think I'm gonna have to dig into that. So um, he's going to much like Sean uh, trying to pimp Five E to make me buy that. Um, Mo is most likely gonna make me buy a copy of The Duke and a couple other things. So you guys are draining my wallet. I think there's a plot of some sort. Right. 
again, thanks to everybody that supports the show, gives us shouts out or does anything, actually. Or let's go into Random Encounter. This is where we discuss listener feedback, email, social media, etc. And we got an email from Chad, who is the same individual that left us a review. Did you look at that? Yeah, I did. And um, we had talked last time about, hey, how you got into gaming uh, VR poll. And uh, so Chad went through and put it together. I'll kind of summarize through here. Basically, Chad started out when he was 12 was when we first kind of saw it, right? When he was 12, he had a friend of his uh, buddy, Dan, that had it. And they talked about it. And he thought this was really cool. He went home and said, hey, mom, this is a really cool thing. And it's uh, Dungeons and Dragons. And what do you think about it? Well, his mom... It, uh, from the looks of it, his mom kind of went a little uh, ballistic on him with, oh, that's evil, it's satanic, you're going to hell if you do that, he can't do that anymore. He's banned from talking to Dan and, or uh, doing anything with that guy. So it wasn't until he says about four or five years later, sophomore, junior in high school, he's hanging out with this group and these guys are um, getting into uh, Vampire the Masquerade. So he kind of touched on a little bit there, um, didn't really talk about it much at home, knowing how bad a reaction you tend to get when you do such things. And... Um, didn't do much, honestly, though, he says, until he was 18, his freshman year in college. And the student union, a friend of his camp, comes up to him, starts talking about it, and the guy gets him into 3rd edition Call of Cthulhu. He played Merp, Middle-earth role-playing games. I think I know who he's talking about, because I think I know the dude he played with. He's the same guy, actually, that played a lot with my sister um, uh, when she was in a different gaming group as well, but um, the, the Chad didn't actually play D&D until he was in his 20s when he moved to Eau Claire. It was like three years after he started playing Call of Cthulhu and Merp. He didn't even get into D&D until later, and I know from uh, Chad talking to me, second edition was his oldest edition he'd ever played, because that's that's what they had. And then uh, 20 years later, he meets, runs into me. He actually knew me from uh, my theater days in college when I had the lead role in a Dracula play. And uh, he knew my sister and a couple of guys that knew me. He said, hey, you want to run a game at Evercon? He sits down, plays at my game, and now he's a regular. I see the guy <laughs> I see the guy a couple times a month playing, so it's a lot of fun. He said something very flattering to me, and I'm gonna, I'll, I'll read this. It's kind of embarrassing, but he said, I was seriously looking, or excuse me, I was seriously losing my will to game until I got involved with Brett's group. So that was, that's pretty cool, man. I, I really appreciate you saying that. So, And he does, he does use my D more content. We'll put some more here. Here's some more cowbell for you. So, yeah, thanks for for the note and the email. Much appreciated. Um, And then now I think uh, somebody wanted – were you asking me my Roll25 e-kickoff? I'm asking you. You said you were going to do this last Friday, and then I see – I'm watching your Google Plus post. You're like, hey, I'm going to kick this thing off. And like a half hour later, sure am lonely. <laughs> I'm like, oh, what happened? Everyone bailed on you? Did anybody show up? Did they like, oh, Christ, it's that Sean guy. I hate him. He has bad advice on that podcast. I'm not going to his thing. Scheduled for 6 o'clock Friday night. I'm sitting there. It's I get on there a little early, quarter to 6, and hang out just in case somebody gets on there. Nobody's on there. 6 o'clock runs around, rolls around. Nobody's on there. 6.05 rolls around. I think it's when I post on Google+. Plus. 6.10, I think Kevin finally joined. Um, and Kevin, being one of the more technically savvy individuals of the group, um, joined in. We were on roll 20. Um, and then the guy started tr- trickling in. Um, my buddy Jeff, who's remote, 
Uh, he was actually in Michigan. I give him a lot of credit for just even getting on. Um, so yeah, every so what happens is I'm sitting in my basement man cave. I'm sitting behind my two 23 inch monitors, just you know, all right, this is great. And all of a sudden they're like, yeah, you're cutting out, you're cutting out, blah blah blah. I'm like, uh, I'll tone. Well, well, I don't know what the problem is. So we nix roll twenty and we go into Google Hangouts. And I'm like, okay. And then I, you know, Kevin's in the sticks. He thinks it's him. Uh, I don't know what the issue. Guys are like, yeah, you're cutting out, Sean. So I've kind of realized maybe it's me. I throttled back my bandwidth like you can do in Google+. Still an issue. So I come upstairs where I have a desk, but I have to use my Mac, which is just a little MacBook Air, you know, I don't know, 13-inch. Not like the big, huge real estate I have in Man Cave, and everything's working fine. So obviously, I have a wire, a Wi-Fi bandwidth issue internally. Anyways, now I'm trying to figure out how do I game upstairs or do I run a cable? And you know, my wife's not a big fan of cables. Anyways, we talked about the game, and uh, so everybody got online eventually. We all made jabs, uh, mostly at my expense, um, and everybody's excited to play. It'll probably be five of us for sure. Um, the, there's a few people that are not used to using Google Plus, but they've kind of ad- they're adapting a little bit, so that's good. Um, so, th- well, this was the kickoff inaugural game, right? So, if you had um, you know technical glitch or whatever, we're like, hey, roll twenty is not working for me, or what can I do? At least you're able to get through some of those components there without into the meat of it and then going, ah, crap, I can't get into the game now or this is failing. So that's cool. I think I, I've not – I've gained with Kevin before. As I've said, he's one of my regulars. And being remote and where he is out in the sticks in, uh, in Minnesota area, he has – he and his son have done a hangout with me before. We were running Vampire and a couple other things. And it worked pretty well. He would occasionally get a bad connection, and that could kind of lag it a touch. But we usually would try to get him in early – ferret out any problems like that and then be able to rock and roll with it and then we would have hey that thing's happening do the fix you know so we kind of build up our own faq if you will around how to get around the problems yeah he said he usually plays from work where he's got good bandwidth and i don't think that i don't think he'll be an issue so we went through and through google hangouts and talked and then we just said well why don't we try um why don't we try roll 20 one more time now that i'm upstairs and have a better wi-fi connection we went in there and it worked really well so i figured out how to assign character sheets to the players so they could put their info in a 5e character sheet in roll 20 so they'll be doing yeah so they'll be doing that um i told them you know I want everything to be on board. You know, if it's this, if not the system for you or you're, you know, the DM's a dick, just tell me. Uh, let's just be open and honest. If you drop out of the game because it's just not jiving, totally acceptable, no love loss, totally get it. So we'll see how it goes. There's a lot of good chemistry, I think. We're all about the same age, so we don't have to worry about any generation gaps or anything. Um, so, yeah, the first game was mostly to make sure that everybody had connectivity issue you know connectivity go through what to kind of expect um also to solidify the group and some of the player characters and what they're going to be playing because um you know i told them i said i don't care what really necessarily what you play but i said you know i laid out some details like dragonborn and tieflings if they want to play that that's fine but i'm going to 
keep them kind of a minority race. They'll get a little grief. Sean, Sean, Sean. They'll get grief if they play one. <laughs> they walk into a town and they're like a minority in the area. They're gonna they're gonna feel the heat. Um, well, this is what we've talked about, right? For the last four episodes, at some t- at some flavor or another, is have the grown up conversation. Say, this is how I'm going to do it. So, if I were to join in, say, hey, I'm going to be a dragonborn, and then to be outraged. That when I went into town, I was stared at or right. people tried to do the pitchforks and uh, torches thing. Understanding what that is before we get into it. And, you know, it, it just sets the whole thing up better. So I think you did the right thing. That sounds awesome. Yeah, and I told him, I said, um, I want to know how each and every one of you knows each other. I don't care if you know, you know, I don't care if you know everybody, but you've got to at least have one connection and that connection's got to have another one. Um, and I... I got to know why you would be adventuring with each other and you have a valid reason for that. I don't want anybody through half the first adventure and say, well, I don't know why I'm even adventuring with these yahoos. So, you know, I don't care how you define that, but that's that's the deal. So um, we'll see how it goes. My buddy Jeff dropped off and he's the one I'm worried about the most because uh, I don't know if he'll get into roll 20 and be able to navigate it well enough. So I've got, we're going to game every two weeks. I'll be able to touch base with him and, you know, run him through a gauntlet of um, knowledge base on roll 20 because I'm still getting a hang of it too. But it's it's pretty nice and pretty smooth and it should work pretty fine, pretty well for us. I don't know. Do they, does roll 20 have kind of an FAQ or a cheat sheet list of, hey, the hot, hot keys or anything like that? I'm, I'm pulling quasi techie crap out of my pocket here, but do they have such a, a document already written, or is it kind of you have to make your own? They've got a wiki, and um, I didn't want the technology to get in the way of gaming. And since we're playing Five E, we could easily do it in theater of the mind. So I don't even have a problem, you know, disregarding Roll Twenty and doing it straight in Google Hangouts. And if I need to throw out a whiteboard and just doodle what the map may look like, or throw down a handout, I can do that. So I'm more of the technical stuff is on my end. Those guys, if they put their character in the character sheet, I think it will allow them to do rolls automatically. I actually told the guys that I don't actually care if they roll and just tell me what the outcome of their role is. Uh, I'll take them for their word uh, because I told them I know who cheats and I'll just squash you anyway. So <laughs> awesome. Well, it sounds cool. I was, uh, I was curious to see how it worked and, uh, Every two weeks, so we'll get an update in two weeks. We'll see how, we want, how it's going. Yeah, that's the the first one. So we'll see. I'm looking forward to uh, looking forward to it. I haven't been in the GM chair for a little while. It's kind of getting the shakes. <laughs> Good. So. Good for you. All right. So let's head off into the main topic of discussion. Yes. We have, uh, Sean, I've been, this is one of those pieces where, We've touched on this a couple times, I think, previous podcasts, and it's been something that I brought up with uh, my gamer friends outside of Sean and uh, and other folks, is the um, system matters, yes or no. And if you want to start a brawl on a Google Plus gaming community, say, I don't think system matters, and here's why. It's stupid, or I think it does, because anybody doesn't blah, blah, blah. You know, just take some, take a stance, regardless of what it is. And quite frankly, the internet being the internet, you can take whatever stance you want, as poorly or well defended as you may wish, and you will start a brawl when it comes to system matters. So I started, uh, Sean and I were kind of noodling on this back and forth, and what really made me think, I think we should pop this into the podcast, just something to kind of hash out was, 
John Wick had written an article, uh, The uh, Chess is Not an RPG. If you haven't seen this yet, we'll put a link in our show notes. It's it's out there. And I read it after I saw all this um, crabbiness on Facebook and on Google+. Plus. Oh, how dare he? And he's clearly wrong or excuse me, he's clearly right. And oh, my God. You know, every, everything in between. And I, I, have, I like John's stuff. I've got a bunch of books he's written. Um, I wish his one Kickstarter that I backed it would uh, move a little faster. But hey, you know, it's a Kickstarter. It just They drag sometimes. That's what it is. Ah, so. <laughs> get that shit done, John. <laughs> so anyway, I figured I'll read it. And I actually read it in a mood that I, I had a bad day at work. I'm like, I'm ready to be pissed off. Come on, John, lay on me something. That's really going to make me mad. And I read it and went, I don't know what the hell everybody's complaining about. So John's article, just do a quick synopsis here. He basically says, you know, what is a role-playing game? And he decides that he's going to define it. And as a game designer, I look at this and say, hey, that's kind of handy. When John decides to make a game system or a world or whatever it is, this is how he is defining the role-playing game. He defines it as, quote, a game in which the players are rewarded for making choices that are consistent with the character's motivations to further the plot of the story, unquote. Fair, okay. He says he's you know not entirely happy with that definition. Okay, you know, whatever, I get it. He's working towards trying to figure out how he wants to define it. Great. I know some people are pissed that um, he had the audacity to try to define role-playing games, you know, whatever, to that regard. And uh, I don't mind it. I looked at it and I said, you know, that it makes some sense if you can at least define what it is you're trying to get across, much to what you did with the Roll20 thing, right? You get out there and say, hey, this is how I'm going to play 5e. Are you guys on board or not? Um, so anyway, that, that kind of catalyze, that catalyzing thing made me think, yeah, let's talk about it. So generally speaking, to uh, put that aside for a second, I usually fall on the system doesn't matter. And the reason I say that is because I'm going to have fun with my friends playing the way we play, regardless of the system that we're playing it with. And as long as I'm having a good time and the system's not in my way, then I'm fine. And if my group is having fun and I'm having fun, I don't care about the system. Sean, what's your, uh, what, what is your retort or do you have a retort? You know, I, um, I used to not get caught up with the semantics that are involved with our gaming hobby. Um, you know, at, at certain times I thought it was a little, shall I say pompous? Um, you know, there was a certain website that was out there that got into a lot of the nuances and theory and a lot of the details. And I think that was for, a you know, and it had its following and audience and it wasn't something that I cared to get into. And you're talking about you're talking about Forge, yeah, the it's Forge, yeah, the, the Forge, the original Forge. Um, and it, you know, it's funny because I think now there's a discussion around it, and I don't have a problem partaking in that discussion. I try to ride the fence a little bit. I'm more diplomatic, sometimes wishy washy on taking a firm stance on any specific topic, like you know, um, gaming theory and some of those details. So when, when I talk about system matters, for me, it depends. And I think sometimes I didn't think it mattered because I just took whatever I was playing and just played it and didn't want to get caught up with 
well, it's not really doing what I want it to do, or it's not really a good game because it's supposed to, you know, it's supposed to be an espionage game, but it really doesn't end up being an espionage game or, you know, whatever that is. And I didn't want to get caught up with the the debate. Um, and it, I think the reason being is because if I were to bring that up and somebody disagreed with me, then it would just be this kind of pissing match on who is right or who is wrong. And you're really talking about preference. And then it kind of comes down to preferences. Yep. So with system matters, I think it, you know, I could play the fence either way. In some systems it does and some it doesn't. I think now being more open to discussion or debate, I don't know if it matters to the point of, you know, being getting into a pissing match with somebody. But I also think that if a game is supposed to capture a certain essence, right? So Mm -hmm. an example may be uh, a Wild West game. And without naming any titles that are out there, because I don't think they're really relevant to what I'm getting at here, is if you're going to play a Wild West game, maybe you want the rules and the field to be gritty Maybe you want them to capture kind of the dustiness that comes with the Wild West, whatever that is, right? So when you watch movies, read books, think of cowboys and, uh, you know, the train, the railroad and going out west and prospecting and cattle, you know, cattle robbing, um, horse thieving, whatever, if the game has mechanics that facilitate the feel of all those, then I think that it does a better job and you'll probably have a better experience in the Western that you're wanting to play. That doesn't mean that you can't play a different game and still get the same thing out of it. I just think that so when system matters in that respect, I think it can enhance the gaming experience. And one of those, I mean, we've got a whole list of different systems and how to define what a system is. But, I, th- you know, one example would be um, Gumshoe, right? So Robin Laws, Pelgrim Press, they've got, what, three, four different games titles one is trail cthulhu the esoterist um there's mutant city blues yep there's mutant city blues that one esoterist i believe it also power over sphere itself and um i I think there might be another one but anyway anyway it, it the whole goal behind it is investigative stuff and it's all around getting clues not having a system get in the way of the clues pull the data together so you can you know keep the story moving and so forth it's all investigation based it's not a crunchy Pathfinder combat system because it has nothing to do with crunchy Pathfinder combat. They don't want to get into that if you're playing that game system um, from their perspective, then you're, you shouldn't want that in our game. If you know, that's nothing that you shouldn't be looking forward to it here. Now the debate, right? So where I come in and say, well, you know, would be the folks that do Pathfinder and they make it murder mystery or suspense and they, maybe tweak the rules however they do it they they facilitate a clue-based pathfinder game so they could still do it in pathfinder would be the argument that somebody may bring to us right if they're we'll look at raven look at ravenloft right i mean it's gothic horror with an AD&D background right but to me a classic example of taking AD&D and doing something with it that is not 
um, perhaps a simulationist miniatures combat system, blah, blah, blah. It's not just kill monsters and take their stuff. It's something a little deeper than that, tries to introduce horror and fear and some of these other things, making it a gothic romance type of uh, horror-telling game. You know, you did AD&D, but you're doing it slightly different. Yes. So I, you can do it. Now, the argument that, like, I'm just going to, now I'm going to bring the other piece that John Wick brought up, which is what I think pissed people off to no end, was he said, D&D is not a role-playing game. So I think that was the defining, I'm <laughs> going to piss was, on like, everybody's game statement. Now, whether he intended to or not, um, read the article. John, if you're listening to this, which I don't imagine you are, if you want to come on and defend some of your points, that's certainly open invite. I think Brett and I would welcome that. We're not absolutely. We're not trying to misinterpret you, but I think yeah, that I think term and a lot of people took that, and I was one of them. I read it and I'm like, dudes, tell me that I'm playing my game wrong. And when you tell people that, they're gonna go off. Well, one of the things that's interesting about that, and this kind of goes to where I said if you want to start a brawl on an internet forum to say something regardless of how well defended or poorly defended, is that one of the things we have to be careful of doing is that when you read something anybody wrote, inferring too much or too little, right? I read John's article and I say, hey, he has a thesis that this is what a role-playing game is. He has a definition he's working with. D&D does not fit that definition. I get it. You could say, well, it can be to there, and it could be this. His argument is that the mechanics are not designed to do that. Therefore, the game at its core is not this thing. Well, the simple way to get around it is don't agree to his stance on what a role-playing game definition is. Make your own definition, whatever the case may be. You can disagree on that and say, yeah, well, you know, so be it. That's what you have. To, that's your thought on it. But it doesn't mean that it's, you know, it's... It, that's not the be-all, end-all. It's, it's one dude with an opinion, and he has some he has some supporters and so forth. But per the article, if you read it as is, the words he has written them, it works, right? His definition is X. This is Y. Y does not equal X. Therefore, it's not the same thing. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, the first time I read it, I was like, yeah, and that's kind of pompous. And, and you know, he's you're, – you're playing it wrong will set people off. And I think when I reread it, I'm like, okay – I've, I've I've taken the walk, come back. It's actually not that bad of an article. Um, and one of the things that he does go into, not to um, just be an episode around John's um, homage to role-playing games and what is not a role-playing game, but one of the things he mentioned was game balance, which is something you and I have talked about as well, and that's a whole other episode. But in, sh- but in short, John was talking about throwing game balance out the window. Right. And you and I have said, and you and I have both kind of agree on that. Yep. Absolutely. But there are some games that are like, no, game balance, balance is essential to how it works. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that's okay. And this is where it comes down to Sean and Brett go to see a movie. We go to see um, Guardians of the Galaxy. I've, I've not seen it personally, which means I'm slacking off on my, on my nerd cred here. But Sean and I go, the first time we see it, I walk out and go, awesome, just just fucking amazing, best movie, blah, blah, blah. And Sean goes, eh, didn't do anything for me. I thought this felt contrived. I didn't like the shots. I didn't like this. I didn't like that. And I'm like, dude, you're just being this artsy dude, whatever. You're just a cinephile, blah, blah, blah. You're just too crazy about this. And just have to look at it for fun. And th- that argument happens right now with professional 
film critics, right? This is their job. They argue back and forth as to who is right on what makes a good movie. It's art in one way, shape, or form. Be it something as simple or mundane as role-playing game, you're creating a collaborative, fun experience. And when you do that, somebody could easily come into one of my groups and say, that was not fun for me. I've had guys say, yeah, I just don't like how you game. That's okay. You're not doing it wrong, but I'm not going to come to games anymore. I'm like, all right, dude, not, not your thing. Go. I've sat in games with other groups that I don't like, and I don't game with them anymore because I don't have fun with them their way. I think it's more, I do tend to follow more the, if I'm going to pick a somebody's stance, if you will, is Robin Laws, and where he states in his uh, Robin's Laws to Good Game Mastery, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. If you and your group are having fun. Now, Sean defines fun as I'm a very simulationist, and I want to be able to know how much weight my dagger has versus the boots I'm wearing and, you know, so on and so forth. As long as everybody gets a touch of whatever it is that they want, everyone had a good time, they walk away, we all have fun, we keep getting together, and I don't have a massive amount of complaints about lack of fun, I'm doing it right. That's that's always been my stance on that. I'll, the semantics of um, are you doing it right or system versus this or could you have that kind of fun with GURPS? Can you have that kind of fun with Savage Worlds? That's, again, to me, comes down to what does my group and I like? What do we what do we really enjoy doing versus what Sean and one of his groups may like? I mean, Sean, you've you played Savage Worlds a lot more than I have. And when I've played it, we've had fun. But at least I believe you have. No, I haven't played it. I haven't played it very often. It's a I game. No, it's a game. It's a go-to game that I want to. I want to. It's a game that I want to have be my go-to game for pickups okay. or stuff. I haven't played it as much as I should. I I tout a. The reason Brett says that is because I he is not a big fan of Savage Worlds. It, and this and this is actually now to defend my point. The reason I'm not is because when my group is playing it, when we have tried it the last uh, two times, we had fun, but we went, you know, I just, I didn't like this piece. When we felt the mechanics were in our way and we felt we were banging our head on something and we had to stop and think about it and it was this kind of gears and cogs and how do I turn the screw and is it half turn to do this or quarter for that or how does that math work? It felt clunky to us. We're like, oh, geez, I'm like supposed to be fast. It doesn't feel fast. And the group kind of went, bleh. It was fun. We told a good story, but I didn't like the mechanics. Now, that said, when I step back from that, and I've talked to you about this before, I want to play it again. And the one reason I want to play it again is I want to play it with somebody who knows how to run the game really, really well, knows like the back of their hand, or has run it many more times than I read the rules and whatnot, so I can be a player and just Go through it, right. right? Yeah. I mean, I really want to get the full feel of it. And I think part of it was is that when my group only gets together once a month and eight hours once a month, we get together and I run a big session. If we – there's a certain tolerance, I guess, we have from a learning curve. And for whatever reason, I think we're kind of weird in this regard. Savage World seemed to have this oddly steep learning curve for us, which is just baffling to me because it should be – and it's always touted as this – Boom, you're in. Go, go, go. It's just this fast, pulpy, rock and rolling type of thing. And it's, I, I, we're doing something wrong is how I'm looking at it. We're not having fun with it. <laughs> There's something wrong, and I'm putting it right on me, right? I was running the game. I did something wrong, and it just didn't – something didn't work right. So, again, it's where we have – is it the system's fault that I didn't have fun? 
Nah, I wouldn't say that. I think it may be how we applied it, what we were doing with it, and if we had any, you know, misconceptions or misreadings of rules or anything like that, it just it felt like it was in our way. So the group said, you know what, we don't have we do not wish to learn this system right now. Put it on the shelf. We'll come back to it maybe another time. We like this system for sure. Let's play something we know we're gonna have fun with. Yeah. Yeah, and I I have, I mean, I want to run more Savage Worlds. I don't know if I'll find enough groups to do it. I can do it online for sure. But it's something that I wouldn't say I'm an expert with, at it by any means. I just haven't run enough, but it's a whole other topic. So getting back to system matters, um, should we define what a system is or should we assume all our listeners know exactly what that is when we say system? We might as well give it a shot. What do you think? What, what you start? <laughs> I'll make you answer. Oh, oh, sweet. So I'll go to Wikipedia, role-playing games, system. Awesome. Yeah. And then I'll write this as an entry so that I'm exactly right. Perfect. So the system is basically, the, in my humble opinion, right, and I am not a game publisher, I am not a designer, and frankly, I'm just a consumer. We buy We buy the products, right? We go out there, we say, hey... Dungeon Crawl Classic sounds really cool. I'm going to pick it up. I'm enthralled with this. I'm going to run it. You know, yeah, and there's a us. there's a reason why this podcast, besides the fact that B and S is Brett and Sean, it's gaming and BS. So we're totally full of shit over on our end of things, anyway. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it, this is my opinion. This is Sean's right. opinion. You know, it's the theme it's of the it's the theme of the show. Gaming <laughs> exactly. and gaming and bullshit. That's what we're doing. Exactly. So. To, to stick with the theme of the show, system, I would say, is a framework, and within that framework is a set of rules that basically outlines what the game master is allowed to do and what, if it's a game master-based game, there's other games that are independently published that don't have GMs or narrators or dungeon masters, and then it also outlines what the players are allowed to do within the boundaries of the game itself. And I actually, I really like that. And one of the reasons is, is because when you start looking at games like a D20 game, and then you compare that to Savage Worlds with Benny's, right? We can change stuff around compared to Fate. You got Fate points. And then go to Star Wars that we talked about back in the pilot where you've got dice to let you fail or succeed in various different uh, levels and coolness. Basic role-playing, all percentiles, more traditional and so on. When you do that and you look at it from that perspective, you say, well, you know what? What did you? How, how do you guys like to have fun? And my group would look at me and say, well, you know what, Brett? You're the game master, dude. You need to have X. If you don't have this thing, if I have too much power over you, if I as a player have a mechanic that allows me to take over your job or perceptively take over your job, I don't want anything to do with that. Which I think is where, now, you know, saying it out loud, I think that's where the Savage Worlds, and it may be the Benny's component, which has got myself and some of my group members a little stymied because it's the traditional format of Game Master and players that we know and love and that we're very much into. And part of it is that we're old guys now, right? We're in our 40s and we've been doing this for a while. So you know, it's hard to say, well, we'll try what that crazy new thing that all the kids today are doing. You know, we'll, we'll try that, that, um, um, fate system and have these chips and other things flipping around the table and changing story and doing this thing on the dime and we don't know if we necessarily want or need that. So I think that definition you just outlined there makes sense because that helps my group perhaps not um, 
haven't called it out per se for them, but I could also see it when I played with my other groups in Madison when I was um, down here working a, a couple jobs back. We would approach different games and say, well, we want to play a game that has something that's more realistic modern combat. And a friend of mine said, hey, I have Phoenix Command. We're going to freaking play Phoenix Command. Phoenix Command? What the hell is for Oh, man. Yes. Phoenix, yeah, that's that's crazy. Um, anyway, uh, so where was I? Anyhow, the uh, the point was is that we looked at the different systems and said, well, we want the Game Master to have this type of power, and we want the players to be able to do this type of thing, and we want weapons and combat to do this specific type of thing. Um, very detailed, you know, the bullet goes through your left, your right pinky, hits you in your right cheek, blows out the back of your head, takes off your left ear. You know, we wanted, <laughs> the guys wanted that type of thing. It's not normally what I want, but that's what the group did, so we went in for it. Um, what you look for a system that helped to tell, helped you wrap up the type of fun that we're looking to have. If the type of fun you had was, I want to move a big tray of dwarves across this green field and attack this big another tray of high elves, I might as well play Warhammer Fantasy Battles, right? Because that's the the root of that. It's a war game, very, very war game. That's how I want to do it. I want to bother with that role-playing nonsense. I just want to swing swords and kill elves. Okay, just play this thing. It's a little bit easier for you. So the looking at the rules from what the Game Master is going to do, what the players are allowed to do, and figuring out what mix of that your group likes and what you enjoy, that most likely would help you pick the type of system that your group is going to enjoy the most. So there was, um, I think I, I Googled GURPS and looked at the Wikipedia. And the reason I did that was to kind of um, get a feel for, like you you said, like if you want to play a more, uh, a game with a higher mortality rate or what have you. And I think Steve Jackson specifically outlines why he came up with GURPS. And I thought I saw a pretty decent reason in the actual Wikipedia article that I'm trying to locate. Yeah, so he there's an outline of a few different games at the time that he came up with GURPS, and some of those include like Gamma World, Top Secret, um, Gangbusters, Boot Hill, uh, AD&D. Um, and I think with GURPS he wanted to allow players to role play in an environment they please while still using the same set of core rules. So that makes it the generic universal role playing system. Yep. And I thought there was another thing in here. Uh, hold on a second. Yeah. I, I could have swore it was in the Wikipedia article. Well, take that piece of it, right? If you're, if your group says, look, we have wild and varied tastes. So the type of settings we want to do, I want to be able to play a time traveling game. I want to be able to play, Hobbit's going after some dragon's uh, treasure with a, with a pack of dwarves. I want to be able to play science fiction, hard sci-fi, soft sci-fi. I want to play um, Robert Heinlein's Stranger in a Strange Land sci-fi. And then I want to change and go play Conan. And I want to do this other thing. And I want to make something completely up or pick something from uh, really just weird alternate history stuff. You know, something that a guy like a Ken Height could, could run, you know, in his sleep. But I want to have the same rule set. I want to roll the same dice. I want to basically understand it. I don't want to have to learn a new game system every time we change stories, every time we change settings or genres. You say, oh, okay, well, GURPS will totally do that for you. Now, people may say, well, I don't like GURPS is to this, is to that. But, you know, it is generic. It lets you do all these components for it. 
um, it, it captures all those pieces of it. So, hey, why not do that? And I could definitely see why I group, and I have no groups that, that play ex- exclusively groups because of that. Whenever they want to do something or someone in the group knows the Conan world, and that's what he's going to run, and he uses GURPS, and everybody gets it. The next guy wants to run Star Trek. Well, he knows GURPS, and that's what they do. And uh, it's the same set. They just change the story. They know how the rules work, and they can figure it all out, and just off they go. So, again, that system to them is a core requirement for that group where they want to be able to play a multitude of genres, but they don't want to have to go through any learning curve. They don't want to get in a point where they have to figure out, wow, I don't know if I like that fate thing, or I don't know if I like that amber diceless thing. I want, don't know if I want to do this other thing, if I want to you know, figure that out. I don't want to do D20 crap. I want to just know the same set no matter what I do. Well, that's what they, you know, it, it makes sense to try to stick with that. I cannot, for the life of me, find that freaking statement where it was as many game series have uh, bothers me. I knew I should have snipped that quote and put it in our notes. Oh, well, I apologize to everybody, but um, it had something to do with basically outlining these systems did this, and I think Steve wanted to make it um, deadlier, um, more kind of type, kind of real. So I guess if you wanted to put a term to it, more simulationist, maybe, I don't know. I digress. I'm sorry. I, I wish I would have found that. That really makes me mad. <laughs> but now, now let's, if you take to the definition that you laid out, basically setting the boundaries for what you're allowed to do from a player and a game master perspective. One of the th- fun things that a game system like the Apocalypse Engine does for Apocalypse World and for dun- um, Dungeon World and so forth um, it says, hey, you're going to have these bonds. It's still classes. So you have that that older school AD&D, basic D&D feel of class and race and those things being tied. You, Hey, I'm a dwarf. I'm a fighter. I'm of this. It has some other components to it that are newer, perhaps more cutting edge or a freer form or maybe a better form for you if you like that type of um, – their type of approach better allows you to have the type of fun you want. But it still has something that's very familiar. It has classes, and some people really like that. That was a thing that actually a number of my friends back in our vampire days, when that first came out, they actually liked it because they were able to do get all gritty, gothic-y, storytelly. But we also still had classes. You know, you had your different vampire clans, which very much the Gangrel were like this, the Venture were like that, the La Sombra were like this. And you had class clan type of uh, concepts so that you understood how things fit and I have a certain paradigm I need to fit within. I can crack that, break it, do a little bit different, you know, so that allows you to have, instead of Fightor from Fightor land, you can actually have a fighter who's really good with knives and he doesn't like long swords or a fighter that only wears, you know, padded armor because he doesn't like the, uh, he doesn't like the weight or feel of metal armor at all. You could break a mold and do something a little bit different. So, you know, if you like to do, Lots of different types of things. You want a more story-based. You want a much more conversational system versus rolling dice to do everything. You want to be able to say, you know, I, I'm i going to do X, Y, and Z in a conversation with a game master. Well, you know, the Apocalypse Engine, that whole thing for Dungeon World might be a little more fun for you than give me a, give me a search check, give me a that check, a much more mechanical um well, I don't want to say clunky because that's, that's a horrible phrase for it, but a much more prescribed do this thing where in a dungeon world environment, you're having a conversation, you're talking about it more versus what rule do I have to look up? You talk about what it is you want to do and then you figure it out from there. 
You're still looking for that thing, aren't you? No, I was looking at a couple different things, actually. Like, so, you know, and one of the things, and I wish, you know, one of the shortcomings as a gamer that I have is I haven't played a lot of indie, uh, independently published games or indie games, as they're also well known, or storytelling games. Um, and I know my buddy Tim here in Madison's a big proponent of those. Um, and some of the ones that I have played, like Fiasco, is interesting. But the funny thing is, I've played like once. And for me to sit here and kind of say, well, this is how it's played and this is how that system works and this is how it facilitates um, the game and the feel and how the system ties to that is kind of, um, it, it wouldn't be probably right for me to do. But it's it's a system and a game that I think would be, uh, it's heavy role playing, it's GM-less, which means there isn't any governing uh for lack of better words, dictator within the game. But it, it does simulate, I mean, if, it, if I could put my, if I could sum it up in like a few words, it is a Coen Brothers movie every time you play. Awesome. And it depends on what, there's different play sets, so you play a play set. It's not really built for a long-running campaign, though I think some people have done it. But it, literally it's, um, you know, the person on your left and the person on your right is the people that you have relationships with and there's a tilt uh, and you can Google this or get, I, I highly recommend recommend buying Fiasco. It's gotten a lot of praise, but it is very intensive kind of role playing where you have a scene and you're in the scene with the person on your left or the person on your right. And you're kind of coming together in that scene. So you role play a little bit and then you decide whether the scene is going to um, be a good outcome or a positive outcome or a negative outcome. And then based on that, you might get a die and those dice play a role at the end, if I'm not mistaken. And somebody who's played fiasco a million times is probably cringing if they're listening to this, but it's an interesting game. Um, but the other game I was thinking about is um, like primetime adventures is one where there is um, you, you play a television series and you come together and, you figure out like who's going to play what role in the television series. And then there's a mechanic where it used to be dice, but now it's playing cards that allows whoever has the most or higher amount of cards can dictate the outcome of a particular scene. And you can play different types of genre that happen to do with television shows. So it's kind of like, it is a campaign, but it's kind of like you're, you know, and this is funny, Brad. I think it would be interesting for you and Lenny and those guys to play that because you're all kind of former thespians. And I think it would be interesting, you know, how you play role-playing games and then you play something like Primetime Adventures, which is almost really going into, uh, you know, I guess acting for a little bit. Um, well, that that brings to mind the um, what was it, uh, Hill Folk by Robin Laws, which was his drama, which was his drama system, which is very much episodic TV show, same. Uh, to me, it sounds very similar. I haven't played either. So I think if we were to take the last bit of ramble that we both had, when we say system does or doesn't matter, I believe that the system is the mechanism in which you have your collaborative fun. Role-playing games, however you want to define a role-playing game, we sit down to play one of the things we've talked about or any plethora of things that may or may not be on your shelf. It's a collaborative fun game, right? The idea is to sit down with a bunch of your buds online or whatever it is, Roll20, hangouts in, in person, drinking beer, soda, whatever it happens to be, and having fun together. As long as the system is not in your way, 
you enjoy it, you have a good time with it, it fully supports what it is that you're trying to what you're trying to do, the type of fun you want to have, the story you want to tell. And even if that story is only checking every ten foot square on the grid for traps, you know, very mechanical, very um, marching that way. Don't let anybody tell you you're doing it wrong. Are you having fun? Great. You're having a good time. Good. Um, the best thing that I think a uh, someone like a John Wick with his uh, definition does for you is it helps you look at the th- games he designs, helps you understand where he's coming from and what he's trying to get at. And then the other piece I would say then is if you get a chance and your group says, you know what, I'd like to try something different. We've been playing um, Hero for a really long time. We've been doing a lot of Sorcerer by Ron Edwards or Savage Worlds. We're loving the hell out of it. We'd really like to try that gumshoe thing. Go online, do some research, get a hold of a, a you know the, the cheapest downloadablest copy you can get. Get a PDF. They're usually cheaper than print copies, obviously, and give it a shot. And the more you can read, the more you can check it out, you can find out, hey, there's different ways to enjoy this hobby, and there's lots of different tools through the different mechanisms to help you tell those collaborative, fun stories with your buds. The more you know. Exactly. Exactly. There's a ton of stuff out there. I mean, and quite frankly, uh, to quote my buddy Lenny, don't tell me what to do, right? I mean, if somebody says you're playing it wrong, I mean, Gary Gygax was famous for this. You read the old Dragon magazines, he's screaming at you practically across the pages that if you're not writing, if you're not playing AD&D as he wrote it, you're doing it wrong. Well, um... Maybe <laughs> kind of at the end of the day, though, there's no gaming cop. No one's going to come to your house and say, you're not playing basic role playing correctly. So then I'm going to take away your call Cthulhu license keeper. It doesn't happen. You know, you can do it however you want. The only reason that you absolutely positively have to adhere to a rule set is if you're playing in a competitive or dare I say um, societal game, right? Where if everybody needs to know the same type of rules, you have to all behave in a very, very specific way, much like chess. You know, if Sean and I sit down to play chess and I decide that my queen has laser vision, I, that's not chess. And the reason it needs to be like that. Yeah, freaking cheater. <laughs> exactly. But the reason you want it to be a very specific way is you can have competitions you never, and everybody understands all the components of it, very black and white and so forth. But that's the beauty of the role-playing game. You can do whatever it is you want. And this is where my argument is that computer RPGs, as they're designed right now, I would say are not really good role-playing games because they have such hard limits to your imagination. World of Warcraft only takes you so far. Diablo only takes you so far. Or Call of Duty. You can only do X because the computer cannot let you do something that hasn't been programmed to do. Right, the game system, regardless of what it is, is yours to do with what you want. I tell Sean I want to do something just crazy ass in his five E game. He goes, you know what? Whatever, dude, give me a die roll, fifteen or higher, and it works. I roll a sixteen, the table erupts and roars of huzzah, and it all works. And we have a great time. You know, you can do that. You can't do that in World of Warcraft yet. Maybe someday we'll get to the point where AI is smart enough to allow us to do whatever we want, but you know, it just isn't there yet. Yeah, there. Yeah, you can get into the discussion on whether if you are not playing the game as it's outlined in the rules, are you actually playing that game? And then people would say, "Well, does it matter?" And then I would say, "Well, why don't you play?" <laughs> I got into a discussion with the, another individual here in Madison, but we would talk about D and D, and they'd say, "Well, why do you do home home?" 
rules. And uh, we just did because it made sense. And then what happened would be, then he'd say, well, why don't you just play a different game? If that game isn't, if you're not playing the rules as it's outlined in whatever rule book you're reading, then why are you even playing it? Play a different game that actually facilitates that. And that's a whole nother debate too. It's something to think about out there, be critical thinker person and come up with your own opinion and why it works for you and why it doesn't work for you. But I think we should wrap this up. Any final words on this topic? Brett, go. Yes. If you're having fun, you're doing it right. I don't give a shit who anybody else is, what their gaming pedigree is. If you're having fun and a group is having a good time and you're calling it Dungeons and Dragons and it's not Dungeons and Dragons anymore for whatever reason, you don't need to care. Have fun and keep doing it. Words of wisdom, Brett. Very nice. Well done. Thank you. Thank you, sir. I will not try to top that, but I do think that um, I think if you just experience different games, you, you'll just open your eyes a little bit more to what you like and what you don't like. Um, and that goes to system two and environments. So having said that, let's in, move into die roll. Die roll is a segment of the show where we, Brett and I, talk about a couple points that have come up in the last week or since our last episode that just wanted to bring to the forefront of other gamers and geeks that may be out there listening to the cast. This week, Brett, he rolled a four on the 1D4. Yes, I did. One of the pieces I wanted to bring up was a goofy little thing, and this is one of the fun bits of... Um, social media, right? Is you're, you're going along and somebody puts up something kind of cool. Like, holy cow, that's that's pretty neat. Well, uh, we'll put the link out there, but on uh, io9, they had a um, little article about a, uh, what was it, 3,900-year-old suit of bone armor was found in Serbia. That's just cool, right? Because we talk in fantasy about how you'd make armor out of this, how you'd make it out of that. It's just, it's a fun read. It's just, it's got a lot of pictures. It's simple, simple stuff, but just... That type of uh, geek coolness is always fun. Um, the other piece I have is I was talking to my uh, my gamer friends the other day online, and I said, yeah, i got to get some gaming notes pu- published from uh, onto our wiki page from our last session. And they were giving me shit that I take notes now because back in the day in uh, early college, I never noted, took notes on anything. You know, I just remembered everything. I had this steel trap memory and whatever. And um, – I'm old now. I have to take notes. There's no two ways around it. And I think if uh, if nothing else out there for uh, those of you my age and older, don't be ashamed. Take notes. It's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. Take the notes. Just just do it. Does, does your do your players actually read that crap? Yeah, they do. Oh, totally. See, my I could do that. They would never read any of that crap. I've got um, part of it is because when you get together once a month, and people are like, "What the f- did we do last time? What did we do?" So I put it out there just in a sketch format. It helps. I I buzz through it and say, hey, remember what happened last time? Bam, bam, bam. Roll through the bullet points. Everyone's brain goes refresh. Ah, yes. I remember that thing in the sewers and you're back right into the mode. So it's a good tool. I really like doing it. Um, I want to do a sci-fi game for my group. I I was sitting back. Somebody, again, a Google Plus thing. A friend of mine posted this, uh, a picture of kind of a... A, what I would consider like a shadow run or a blade runner type of cityscape. It was just gorgeous. And uh, two of my gamers said, Brett, we haven't run a sci-fi game ever. You need to do this. And I'm like, yeah, we have. 
I thought about it, and I thought, no, we have not. I've not done a sci-fi game in God knows how long. I don't even remember the last one. So, damn it, I'm going to do one. After this one's over, I've, I've got something cooking in my head. I think it'll be a lot of fun for him. So that'll be fun to do, a big stretch. Kind of goes into what we talked about earlier. I think I might maybe change game systems. I don't know, but it's definitely, it's, if nothing else, it's a genre stretch for us. i got to find something to let us tell a fun sci-fi story. It's something we haven't done before. That'll be fun. And the last one is my uh, my good buddy Alpha, one of the uh, friends of mine who's in my dark theater company with me with our, doing our apps and stuff. He and uh, his uh, longtime girlfriend Sarah got married, and they had a uh, what they call a knot reception yesterday. So uh, it was a blast. Sarah is one of the best uh, brewers of, of homebrew beer. She's a beer taster. She's just she makes the most amazing beer ever. A lot of times you get that homebrew beer, you're like, oh, thank you, and you kind of dump it out on the side because it tastes like rocket fuel. This her stuff is just freaking amazing so they had their celebration she had a bunch of her homebrew beer there all other craft beers everywhere and i got loaded and we played uh texas hold'em we played some carcassonne and when things started to wrap up my wife and i had pawned our kids off on my on my parents they want to be grandparents for the to spoil the kids for the night so we basically picked the picked up what was uh, left of my gaming group that was able to we moved back over to alpha and sarah's house and we played um Instinct, which is an old uh, trick-taking card game from uh, Wizards of the Coast based on the magic system, or excuse me, magic imagery uh, from, God, I think like the early 90s or whatever. We played it at like 2, 3 in the morning, just drunk off our asses, having a blast. It was a lot, a lot of fun. And um, Alpha Dude, whenever you, re- whenever you uh, hear this, man, congratulations again. I love you, brother. Yeah. Raise a toast for Alpha and Sarah. Yes. Excellent. And Sarah the Brewmaster. Even better. Yes. Congratulations. All right. That was my four. Sean, what do you got? I went, one? <sighs> you got one? I went light this week. Light? That's non existent. I know. What do you got? So, funny, you went with sci fi and running a game sci fi. So. Interstellar is coming out November 7th. If you haven't seen the trailers, it's by Christopher Nolan and stars Matthew McConaughey. Uh, so if you see the trailers, you'll get kind of an itching for doing something science fiction. Um, probably not far future, but interesting and nonetheless. Um, I'm also looking at different games. The funny thing is I have ADD gamer, so I have to be careful uh, having gamer ADD. I don't want to take my 5E crew and just start to kick off a 5E game and then go, oh, we should play this. And then two sessions later, we're, we're delving into something else. So I have to be careful. Dude, I do, I do the same thing, man. And I think I think this may be more common than some folks want to admit, but I know if I'm running a game and I stop reading books and watching movies and TV shows and other things that are in genres outside of what I'm currently running because otherwise I'm like, Oh, new sexy thing. And I want to go get it, (laughs) you know, whatever it is, be it sci-fi or whatever. So I've got these sci-fi ideas and I've got them purposely in a notebook on a shelf in my brain type of thing where I just, I'm not going to look at it until this one's almost over. Cause if I go too far into it, I'm going to lose the attraction to what I'm doing right now. And I'm going to want to do the new thing. So I, I am absolutely with you there. So I'm in. I am interested in sci-fi, and I'm like you. I haven't run sci-fi, and I think there's some very there's a lot of imagery out there that you can gain a lot of inspiration from. Absolutely, there's you just do you do the Google search, hit the images button, you'll be flooded with really cool stuff. You know, that's one of the beauties of you know using a tablet or any other type of you know really quick 
mobile graphic interface. You could say, you see this, and you pick it up and show the group, you know, hey, this is what the cityscape looks like. Or you could send it to your folks in, on a, an email or a Google Plus post or wherever, saying, hey, in our community, here's what the feel I'm trying to get. You start splashing some graphics to a group, and people people latch onto that pretty well. Yeah, and there's a few games out there that are that will facilitate that. I think there was a hack of, or somebody put together a Mass Effect RPG, and I don't remember what rule system they made, but I know there's a lot of Mass Effect fans out there, and oh, if it were only an RPG. So I think somebody did that. Um, Stars Without Number, which is an interesting one, Brett, you can actually check that out. You can download the basic rules for free off a of drive through RPG. And so there is two sets of rules, and I think it was originally published by mongoose but the free set does not allow you to get into mechs i think and something else so but it'll get you all the basic character rules and everything so if you want to know what it's about download that it's based off of really first edition ad and d uh ironically enough but check it out stars without number and then last parsec is a Kickstarter that uh, Pinnacle Entertainment Group is putting on. That is an interesting one that kind of captures what it is to be out there on the fringe of space, which I like. Star Frontiers, um, there's, jeez, I think Bill Logan might oversee Star Frontiers, or he has like a... Is that is that thing coming back that... I- I have this, I had this deep love of Star Frontiers just because it was a game I played, you know, in, in middle school. I had so much fun with that game. I think it was, I think it's, his name's Bill Logan. I think I follow him on G+. He puts out the, um, the DWD games, um, but I believe he oversees Star Frontiers. Like, you, he, I don't know how he's managed to do it without getting sued into oblivion from, like, wizards. But literally, you can, I think... Oh, he will now. Thanks. Way to go. No, I think they know about it. <laughs> now they're going to crush like it. They've thanks, given up, thanks, Sean. They think they, I think they've given up the IP, or I don't know how it works, but um, there's a lot of rule books um, and supplements that he has on his website that you can go and um, download. And he was actually doing what's called the Star Frontiersman, which is like a, um, oh, a periodical that deals with Star Frontiers. Um, Traveler, that's Far Future, Far Future Enterprises by Mark Miller. So you can, st- you know, that I think literally that is the longest running pub, still published to this day, role playing game. It could be. I actually two years ago at Gen- no, yeah, two years ago at Gen Con, not this last one, but the one last oh, one year ago. My apologies. I got the um, the box set, and somebody happened, and they had all of the little booklets. Which are you know essentially um, written stream of consciousness visual <laughs> editing is not so good, um, but I have all of them and I got it all for like seventy five bucks. I was super happy. I found it kind of beat up, but they're all there. And I picked up uh, when Mongoose um, was running. I still had the Traveler license. I bought the hardcover of their stuff, and I've played Traveler and I've had a lot of fun with that. Which to the to the point of what we've been talking about today, when you get a chance to get exposed to another system, which is one of really cool things you can do at these gaming conventions that are popping up all over, small ones, big ones, whatever. Grab onto some of these game systems or settings that you've never done before that you think might be kind of cool. It's a really good way to usually hook up with a game master who knows the stuff inside and out and other players who know it, and you can have a lot of fun doing it. 
Yeah, I'm playing Traveler on Sunday, November 9th at Game Hole. Uh, Victor Raymond, a Madison local, is running classic Traveler scenario, so I'm going to sit in on his game. But um, Mongoose Traveler, I had heard good things from that, actually. A buddy of mine has it, and he was going to put it up on eBay, and I'm like, hey, dude, let me just borrow this for a second. I want to read through it. But um, the guys over at um, Happy Jack's RPG Podcast, a few of them ran, like one of the guys on the podcast ran it at a convention, and he ran it starting with character creation. And the people who did it loved it. And they, of course, um, did an episode from the con and had people from the game comment on how fun it was um, that actually added to creating it because i think during creation you kind of come together with who's who and what's what and why you're all together and um added another level to the game that they ran so the funny thing is is i think with with sci-fi is it can get kind of wacky and i think it depends on what you're trying to model it after is what you know so i have something in my head where it's like really cool but how do i not make it firefly how do i not make it star wars or do i do you know, all of that together somehow and still pull it off without being too corny. So there is, you you want, do you want Shadowrun but more, you know, do you want Star Wars, but Shadowrun, you know, know, what this, again, it goes right back to what we're just talking about. There's so many systems out there. Do you want to do a pulpy thing? Savage rolls, man, it, it does pulp better than anybody. Why should we be savage rolling this thing? You know, should we do something like that? I don't know. Well, right. And then there's transhuman space or transhuman. Oh, yeah, that's right? right. So then you get into eclipse phase and then you get into, you know, GURPS transhuman space um, and a few others that are out there. And so then you get into sci-fi. So what? how do you define your own sci-fi world? Is it just, you know, you're out in a freighter and you're going to come across bizarre crap, like even Star Trek, right? And I didn't even mention Star Trek and uh, Prime Directive and some of those other ones. So how do you, you know, that's, you got to have a group that's pretty open-minded for that because you could throw anything at them and you want to make sure that they're not going to go, oh, this is, dude, this is bullshit. I don't want to play this game. It's too wacky for me, you know, but dude, sci-fi does appeal to me. And I think it's because it's just, I don't play it very often. I used, I played a ton, ton of Star Frontiers and Nighthawks, which was their, um, their, uh, ships game. I still have my box sets. From those, I played a I played a ton of that in grade school and even into early high school. My friends and I would play a lot of it. It was just a ton of fun. Uh, the dead gamer guys that I know from, and they'll be at Game Hole if you're there. I'll introduce you. But the game, the dead gamer society guys, what they do is they only play things that are out of print. And so when I was talking about running something, they're like, oh, you know. And then what they'll do is they'll give you like a ring that um, that they'll custom make, and they'll give oh, it. Cool. Yeah. And, um, so they were like, oh, dude, run, run Star Frontiers. I'm like, I don't have it. Oh, you can, you can get it out there somewhere or somehow. And it'd be awesome. You know, just run. And I'm like, I don't, not familiar with it though. I mean, I feel like I got to have some sense of familiarity with it. Um, but I'll send you a link and I'll put it in the show notes to some of the Star Frontiers that's out there. I mean, I mean, it's readily available and it's, I was surprisingly amazed. There's something, and this, again, to the system component, there's something kind of cool about dead games. You know, you find those older ones that are reprinted on uh, Drive-Thru RPG or one of those places, 
and you don't have to worry about the latest thing that suddenly outmodes, quote-unquote, all the stuff that you thought was really cool. You can play that. It's definitive, right? <laughs> They're not making any more Star Frontier stuff. It's either this or it doesn't exist. And, um, yeah, that's kind of that. There's something I something really attractive about that to me. So I think those dead gamer guys, may, they may be onto something kind of like that. Yeah, they've got a podcast too, but I know those guys are really – they're hilarious, um, and hope to see them at Game Hall where they run run a few games. So, like I think they've run like D twenty Call of Cthulhu, Classic Call of Cthulhu, Marvel Superheroes TSR version. They've oh god, that was fun! I played the hell out of that. That was fun. They've run Top Secret, kind of modified. Um, then they also run you know the classic D and D's versions, um, and they've got a podcast too, Chad and. Um, those guys happen to to host but i think that's it for my die roll honestly i didn't have a butt ton of stuff this week i don't know why um that's all right i think we if nothing else we were able to craftily tie all of your die roll things into our main topic of system so cool stuff yeah so let's sign out of this sucker i think so this has been an episode of Gaming and BS. I'm one of your co-hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good gaming. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>